They have the Red Sea before them. They have the barren wilderness on either side. And they have the Egyptian army charging at them from behind. Moses, their great leader sent from God, has a word of encouragement for Israel. And that word is stand still. (laughs) Have you ever been afraid or anxious? The hardest thing for you to do is stand still. Every bone in your body, every inclination you have is to move and do something. Don't stand still. And Moses tells them, stand still. Whenever I'm troubled or stressed about something, some calamity perhaps approaching, please don't tell me to stand still. (laughs) That's the last thing I want to do. But when I'm overly concerned about some situation, I will usually go for a walk down by my little creek and get into prayer. But Moses, he commands the children of Israel from God and he tells them, stand still. Stand still where you will see. Stand still where you will recognize Israel. Pay attention with everything in you for the salvation of the Lord will be accomplished very soon. No, no. Today. It's going to be accomplished today. So stand still and take note of it. If you're scurrying about, or as I like to say, all in a lather, that's cowboy talk, you will not be able to appreciate God's salvation. But when we stand still, right in the middle of our troubles, right in the middle of our stressful situations, God has our undivided attention then. In verse 14 of chapter 14, Moses continues, The Lord will fight for you today, so hold your peace. It's good when the Lord fights for you. And then we have a break in time right in the middle of this chapter. Israel is trapped by the sea, the pursuing Egyptian army, not only has Israel afraid, they are very stressed out. So let's look at chapter 14, verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Go forward now. God has a question for Moses and Israel. Why do you cry out to me? This is not the time for a prayer meeting. <laughs> Now, we don't have Scripture tell us very often or in very many places uh, to not pray, but God is asking them, why are you praying? Usually we're told, be in prayer. But God's first command was stand still, and now God commands go forward. Go forward right down to the edge of the sea. And then Moses, stretch out your rod in your hand over the sea and divide it. 
And God will continue now with Moses and giving him all the details of the salvation that God is about to bring up for Israel. He tells him, you and your people will go through the midst of the sea and you will go through on dry ground. And then he gives some more details. But Moses, here's what I'm going to do to Pharaoh and here's what I'm going to do to his army. Pharaoh's going to follow you down into the sea. He's going to hotly pursue you into the midst of the sea. And there I, God, will gain honor for myself. God informs Moses exactly how it's going to happen. How he will provide his salvation over the Egyptian army, which was one of the strongest armies in the world at that time. God even tells Moses the very way that Pharaoh and all of his army will be destroyed. And Moses will witness firsthand the judgmental side of God as the entire army a pharaoh in Egypt will drown. Now, it's not like the movie The Ten Commandments. They drown, all of them, pharaoh included, in the sea. <laughs> but God has told Moses ahead of time the details that are going to happen. And he tells pharaoh the, uh, Moses the why he's about to destroy pharaoh. He says, I want to gain honor from this pagan king and this pagan people. I want to gain honor for myself. You see, God has noticed. He's took note of the fact that Egypt is overrun by false gods. They worship man. They worship idols. And they do not worship the true and living God. And God has brought ten plagues upon Egypt, plague after plague, showing his power to the Egyptians. But the Egyptians have refused to believe in the true and living God. And this is important to our Lord. It's an important matter to God that he as creator, it's important for him to for his creation to understand he is God. And as God, he will not share his glory with any man, especially the Egyptians. But let me get that a little closer to home. God will not share his glory with any believer who should know better. We should know better, and God will not share his glory with man. You know, as men, as mankind, particularly here in America, we glorify the vessel versus the creator. We're very quick in America to set up heroes. We have rock heroes. We have sports heroes. We have politicians that think they're heroes, and so forth. And this is all comes under the heading. There is a condition in the Christian world known as the Messiah complex. That's when a person, usually in Christian leadership, a pastor, an evangelist, somebody like that, they begin to think 
nobody is available to serve God with the dedication and effectiveness that I serve God with. And that is the Messiah complex. And there's a tendency for this person to elevate themselves, be lifted up in pride, and then find fault and degrade those around them. After all, God is down to a few good men, and I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah. Elijah the prophet was guilty of thinking that he alone now stood for God. Elijah has destroyed 400 prophets of Baal, and God tells Elijah, Oh, don't get lifted up in pride. By the way, I have 5,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And when we begin to think we alone stand for God, that we alone fight the good fight, we alone fight against the epidemic of sin in America, and we alone are righteous, these are signs of the Messiah complex. And when you reduce that down, it's nothing more than pride. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, oh, probably 20 to 30 years ago, there was a TV evangelist on TV, and I heard this man say that he alone had been designated by God to take the gospel to South America. Really, that's kind of a large statement. And therefore, send your money and offerings to him. <laughs> Within a month, that man was off of TV, disgraced by a sexual scandal. And his ministry never recovered to its former prominence. But let's look back at verse 15. Moses, tell the people that it's not time to pray, but it's time to go forward. Only two verses earlier, God has declared, stand still, though, and see my salvation. To me, that shows how important it is to be in tune with God, listening to God all of the time. Because God will change his message to you and instruct us as how we are to go. God now directs Moses and Israel to go forward. And obviously, there has been a time gap between these two commands. So let's read verses 16 through 18 of chapter 14. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the heart of the Egyptian, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariot, and his horsemen. Lift your rod, Moses. Lift it out over the sea. I like that. I like it when God is very direct, so precisely, so, you know, to the point that it's either obey or disobey him. There's nothing left in between. There's no trying to interpret what God said here. Most of us, I think, prefer direct commands from God. 
And when I pray for God, God's will in a situation, many times I will ask God, make it real plain to me. <laughs> make it real simple because you know me, Lord. And if I'm headed in the wrong direction and that happens, I ask God to close that door and don't let me walk through it. And he's been faithful to do that. But God, we have to see this, not only hardens the heart of Pharaoh, but now he hardens the heart of the Egyptian people. On Wednesday evening, we're going through the book of Revelation, and we have seen God's judgment upon this world during the Great Tribulation, and there is a great number of people that are are being killed and but the people that survive the people that are left over and do not they do not repent of their sins of the works of their hands and the works of their hand is the worship of demons and idols worshiping gold silver brass and stone and wood and then you we read nor do they repent of their murders and their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. This world loves sin. This world will not repent of sin even when they see a third of the world's population killed. They still will not turn and repent. This world is growing more wicked by the day and more like Egypt than it has ever been. And we see what God has done to Egypt, especially during Pharaoh's day. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, God hardened the heart of the Egyptian people. And like it or not, our governmental elected leaders are a reflection of us, the people who voted them into office. You cannot get around that. You don't like your elected officials? Look at who voted them into office. It's that simple. All right, let's look at verse 19 through 31. And the angel of the God of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the, to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptian pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptian through the pillar of fire and a cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptian. And he took off the chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptian, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great works which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. It's interesting to notice that as a cloud and a pillar of fire, that it's none other than the angel of the Lord. God himself is leading Israel as a cloud and a a pillar of fire. What's interesting here, though, the cloud and the fire, now they change direction and they go and they get between Israel and the Egyptians, between the army of Egypt and Moses and Israel. To Israel, God is giving them light, a blessing, but darkness to the Egyptians. But this cloud that has been in the sky is now on the ground, or it's a heavy, thick fog. So thick, the Egyptians cannot find their way. Now, I lived in California a lot of years. California, coastal state, in the winter in particular, will get a lot of fog in a lot of areas. Extremely thick fog. I remember as a young man driving and getting lost in my own neighborhood. I stopped on a street corner, went over to the street side, and I'm trying to read a sign that's about this high, and I can barely make it out to even find out where I am. <laughs> that is thick fog. I've heard stories of guys opening their door as they drive to see the white line. <laughs> that is thick fog. In the Central Valley, in, where a lot of agriculture goes on in California, they have what they call the Thule fog. The Thule fog will set in, and you can go as long as 30 days in the Thule fog without seeing the sun. People get depressed when they don't see the sun. And suicide rates go up when this Thule fog sits in in the Central Valley. So fog can be very distressing, very uh, mood-motivating for as uh, putting you into a bummer and that kind of thing. But God not only separates Israel and Egypt with this fog, God begins to trouble their chariots. <laughs> and I think this is sort of comical. The Egyptian chariots their wheels begin to come off of their chariots. And what has been a rolling tank 
for battle is now a big sled with no snow. <laughs> you struggle to pull a chariot when the wheels are off of it. The chariot drivers have something to say about this, and they proclaim God is now fighting for Israel and against us. And it's, not, it's interesting to read of the different battle stories about Israel in their modern-day wars, how God still provides and fights for Israel. Regardless, though, Egypt follows Israel down into the sea right where God wants them because God wants to destroy them. It's that simple. Now, about this time when the wheels are coming off the chariots, if I am an Egyptian chariot driver, I'm thinking about deserting. You know, wait a minute. <laughs> We're fighting up against God here. I'm out of here. But God has predestined the destruction of the Egyptian army, and they will be destroyed. It's that simple. I don't ever want to find myself in a position where God begins to fight against me. In years gone by, and it's hard for me to remember that far back, but back in my youth, I can get there if I really try, I was very foolish. I was a very stubborn young man, and especially stubborn concerning the will of God for my life. I refused to listen to God after praying for God to reveal His will to me. I was disobedient to God after he had so graciously revealed his will to me. And I sowed my wild oats to my own sorrow, to my own demise. So I speak with authority and experience about not listening to God. So I would advise anyone, do not pray for God to show you his will unless you're ready and willing to obey his will. After I disobeyed God in my own life, my own sorrow, my own regrets humbled me and brought me to a position of repentance when that was good. However, there was this consequence to pay for my rebellion, for my disobedience. And it was there in my own life. And in my firm opinion, that's a qualifier, <laughs> God is slow to reveal his will to us at times because God wants us to come to a place of obedience. So sometimes he will hold back revealing his will, wanting us to get our hearts right in a position where we will obey him. Now there's a situation that we sometimes find ourselves in, and I have done it myself. 
and it's called chili dipping. You ever just open the scriptures and point to a verse and say, that's God's verse for me, and it really apply? <laughs> I think we've all done that. But uh, there was a time when, when God would speak to me directly from his word in a similar situation. I would be praying about a situation, and God would cause a verse to come to mind. And I would turn to that verse, and it did. It applied to what I was needing to hear. And I was in prayer about an issue in my life, and I received two similar verses, but at separate times. And the verses went something like, not now, you're not, you're not ready to hear what I want to say to you type thing. So I continued to pray until God gave me a third verse. In which was, I have many things to say to you now, but you're not able to receive them. That's kind of a wake-up call. You're praying for God to speak to you, and he says, I can't speak to you because you won't listen. And that's sad. That caused me to pray, okay, God, make me ready. And he did. I often tell people, you have to understand, God's desire is for you to know his will for your life. And he desires it, I honestly believe this, more than we desire to hear it. But God looks for one thing in our life. In fact, God tells us, you show your love to me by your obedience. Now, we, we can conjure up different things that we think we show our love to God with, but he says obedience. There it is. Nail that one down. If you're obedient to me, that shows you care what I think. So by obedience, we show our love to God. Now, Many people will now shy away from praying for God's will in their life if the truth is to be known because they are not willing to be obedient when God tells them his will. And that is very sad. Look how God worked with the Egyptians trying to get them to avoid destruction. Ten plagues, ten supernatural plagues upon them, and they still had hard hearts. They still would not turn. The most critical thing a Christian can do is to learn from our mistakes, to turn from an unbelieving heart to a believing heart. The work of God, we're told in John, is to obey God. Just to obey. You want to know God? Read his words, see what he has to say to you, and then be obedient. That's how we show God our love. For he is faithful. He takes care of us. He provides for us, gives us the desires of our heart, but we are to be obedient. 
Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for loving us. I, I say that from the depths of my being, Lord. Thank you for first loving us. And Lord, as your people, give us that desire to be pleasing to you through obedience. Lord, you've done so much for us. You've called us to yourself. You have given us salvation. We have no complaint against you, Lord, whatsoever. And it seems like the least we could do is be obedient to you. So, Lord, give us a heart that turns towards you. Give us a heart that seeks to be pleasing to our Lord. We don't want to be like the Egyptians that you determined to gain honor over them. And to gain honor over them, you had to kill them, Lord. We don't want to be destroyed. We want to be a people who listens to our Lord. Here's what you have to say and adjust our life to your word. Do this good work by your spirit, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.